I've listened to Man on the Moon, End of Day by Kid Cudi for 10 months. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Cuddy. Yes. Pronounced Cuddy. Yes. Definitely was thinking Cootie. No, no, that's not right. Like Cooties. No, not like Cooties. You better believe that's going to come before I intro the episode. It's going to be, as the theme music fades out, that's what you're going to be saying. Good. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. We made it! We... Well, I guess we gotta make it through this episode, but assuming we make it to the end of this episode, we we made made it! it. Yeah, this is episode number 104, so this episode officially marks the end of our second year. Two full years, haven't missed a Friday. That's true. Two years of all sorts of stuff. All sorts of stuff. Actually, this is also the end, the last episode in the year of vengeance. Yeah. Where certain decisions made in year one of the podcast have been avenged yeah so i'm excited to be through that how you feeling yeah this is the end the vengeance dies tonight (laughs) wow creepy (laughs) but honestly fitting for this album you know what that's a good that's kind of one of the reasons i picked this album you know to end the year of vengeance Mm -hmm. the vengeance dies tonight this album is all about night and dreams and in a certain sense death and life and all sorts of stuff it's got a lot of thematic complexity to it but yes this is our what not birthday not anniversary this is our pre-birthday yeah it's just it marks the end also as always there's also the caveat that this is technically our birthday if you count the test episode yeah you're right that's why we celebrate both because who doesn't want more presents yeah now in the spirit of wrapping up the year of vengeance it has been a minute since we've talked about any kind of hip-hop or rap album honestly since the low-end theory and a tribe called quest like 20 episodes ago just really wanted in on a low note so that we had nowhere to go but up huh for the year feeling no absolutely did not do that i don't think this is a low note i i'm biased i don't know i hope you don't think this is a super low note we'll find out won't we yes we will but i thought i'd bring us back you know it's been a while so it was time to touch base again and and i guess you know maybe that is why i stuck it in the year of vengeance if we needed to come back eventually maybe this is a good spot for rap to delay its entry into the upcoming year of healing yeah picked an interesting uh, artist as well really cutting deep into what kicked off the year of vengeance am i he uh has some ties to a certain note taker oh he does he does i thought what kicked off the year of vengeance was miley cyrus i was like well that too i don't know of any ties between kid cuddy and miley cyrus <laughs> really it was just a lot of your choices in your one piled up there were it compounded yeah well this week we are talking about kid cuddy and his debut album man on the moon the end of day i'm so stoked this is an album i've really envisioned a podcast episode for ever since i listened to this record somebody one time recommended this album to me under the caveat statement they said it'll change your life and i wish i could remember exactly who told me to listen if you're listening to this podcast right now i appreciate you so much because honestly i don't i don't know if it was life-changing necessarily but it definitely 
did a good job at pivoting my understanding of like hip-hop and rap as a genre. It definitely was a paradigm shift, if nothing else. So hats off to you, whoever you are. I have some ideas. I think I know who you were. But if you remember recommending the album to me, let me know. <laughs> so you know Kid Cudi's tied a lot to Kanye West. What else do you know about him? What don't I know about him? We're <laughs> <laughs> not doing that again. I mean, while I believe, and you clearly did know a lot about Bon Jovi, I refuse to believe you know much about Kid Cudi. You didn't even know. You started this episode saying, oh, it's not pronounced Cootie. I'm pretty certain it's pronounced Cootie. It's, you could say that. Don't. I was going to say you could say that all you want, but no, you can't, because then all the Kid Cudi fans who listen to this episode are going to be like, I'm done. That's awful. But on the flip side, all the Kid Cootie fans who listen to the episode will really be on board. <laughs> anyway, regardless of what you know about Kid Cudi, I'm sure you could learn a little more. So I'm here to teach you. Prepare to be learned. I'm prepared. Prepare to have been taught. Let's go. Let's go. Scott Ramon Seguro Miss Cuddy, or as most of you know him, Kid Cuddy, was born, was a kid, right, in Cleveland, Ohio in 1984. <laughs> he grew up in the Cleveland area. His mother was a teacher. His father was a World War II veteran and a painter. He passed away when Kid Cudi was age 11. But he went to like Shaker Heights High School. I don't know how familiar you are with Northern Ohio, but... Cleveland, That's isn't that where Machine and Kelly's from? Yeah, Machine and Kelly. There's like a coffee shop or something that we're supposed to go visit? Yeah, he does have a coffee shop there because he is from there. Right, that's right. And then, you know, Cleveland, the place where... The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is? Cleveland. A running narrative through our uh, first two years. I guess so. Well, before he decided to go into music, Muscutty per pursued a degree in film at the University of Toledo, which, you know, I think that is a fact that really shows in his music. It's very cinematic, and he's very good at storytelling and world building through song. And I think a lot of that comes from, like, what he wanted to do with film. He also had aspirations to join the Navy that never really panned out, but he thought about it. But he's been rapping and making music on the side since 2003 in his late high school days. He was particularly inspired by early hip-hop groups like A Tribe Called Quest from episode 86, the, honestly, the last time we've talked about rap. Wow. Yeah, small world. In 2005, he decided to really get serious about it, start pursuing it as a career, so he moved to New York to live with his uncle and break into the music scene there. After a little while, he strikes off on his own. He finds himself sharing an apartment with producer Dot DeGenius. And he also had a chance encounter with Kanye West in 2006 at a record store. Obviously, in 2006, it's before a lot of Kanye's more recent incidents and problematic behavior. Honestly, even before I'm gonna let you finish, you know? But he strikes up a conversation. He hands Kanye West a demo of his music. And then that kind of fades into the past for a while. Meanwhile, Cuddy's also trying to get his music out there digitally, right? He put up an early version of the song Day and Night on his MySpace page in 2007. And that is kind of what opened doors for him. It started getting real attention from music blogs. And lo and behold, once again, it caught the ear of Kanye West. Cuddy was quickly signed to good music, and he put out a mixtape called A Kid Named Cuddy in 2008. And it was actually a free download, kind of like Chance the Rapper in more recent times, but also using a label, which Chance clearly does not enjoy. Basically, Kid Cuddy and Kanye West start to be frequent co-workers and collaborators. They work together on all kinds of production stuff. Jay-Z's The Blueprint 3, Kanye's 808s and Heartbreak, and a lot more. So he's kind of making a name for himself in tandem with others, but he's also striking out and gaining recognition on his own too. He was a member of XXL's 2009 freshman class. He was on Snoop Dogg's MTV talk show in 2009. He cameoed in a video for Solange, Beyonce's sister, 
He started touring on his own, and he did a lot more. And that's when he finally gets around to making this debut album, Man on the Moon, The End of Day. What do you think about that album title? It exists. It exists. I like the Man on the Moon part. The part that gets me is just the weird, like, the end of day. That's such a specific phrasing. The thing that I think is kind of philosophical about that Mm -hmm. is that the day is based on you know being on the earth oh and if you're a man on the moon when is the end of the day oh i like that a lot <laughs> when is the end of the day on the moon you yeah, know i've never thought about it like that like the end of the day is when the earth is rotated completely around on its axis yeah and if you're not on the earth when does the day end when the moon has rotated around on huh how long does that take does the moon rotate on its on an axis I, i've never really thought about it because isn't the moon title locked or something like that like we always see the same side of the moon is another thing well that's just because of the situation i hear kind of go ahead a day on the moon is 29.5 earth days so almost a month oh huh yeah so this could be the end of month man on the earth the end of month <laughs> that's like a way lamer album i just i always in my head feel like it should be the end of the day Because honestly, to me, the philosophical part is that by getting rid of the definite article there in front of day, right? It kind of implies that this isn't the end of a singular day. This is the end of the the concept concept of of day. day. Yeah, like... Which is kind of what I was getting at. We get distracted by how many days are a moon. How many days are a moon? (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of what I was getting to was like, if you're no longer on earth and you're just looking out into just space mm-hmm. it's just like the concept of day I, I would assume if you're on the moon the sun's not really gonna set or rise right be- you're always gonna be able to see the sun that's not true in some way or like a star or i don't i don't know like would it rise and set i guess the difference is you don't have an atmosphere on the moon so the sky doesn't get blue like the daytime like you'd always be able to see stars right 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 right. what's the sun look like from the moon about the same as it does on earth i i guess Yes. But does it, does it ever disappear? Yes, there's a whole dark side of the moon. Pink Floyd taught you all about this. Uh, but, like, hang on. I'm getting existential about the moon. <laughs> That's a good tagline for this album. Now I'm getting existential about the moon. Okay, okay, here we go. So it says, The amount of time it takes the moon to rotate once on its axis is equal to the time it takes for the moon to orbit once around the Earth. So that keeps the same side of the moon facing us, facing towards the Earth the entire time. Yeah, I was going to say, it definitely rotates. So that's why we never see the dark side of the moon. It's just because it's a coincidence. So if I'm on the light side of the moon, I would still lose the sun. It's, I would end up on the dark side of the moon, right? Would I? Yes. How, how's that work? What? I, I'm so, I'm a little confused. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking if we see the same side of the moon the whole time. Welcome to Spin It, the podcast where we talk about the rotation of celestial bodies. No, no, it's, I'm, I'm a little confused. If you always see the same side of the moon from the Earth, and I'm on the side of the moon you can see. Then I will always see your side. Then you would always be able to see my side, but, right? So I well, would never end up on the dark side of the moon, you right? You would. You would at the times when you are out of my line of sight. But you're. But it's never out of your line of sight. Yes, it, 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 yes, it is. But if the same side of the moon is always facing the Earth, then... I'm just... I'm really trying to understand. It's broken my brain a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> this concept of being able to see the same side of the moon the whole time. Yes, the moon revolves around its axis and around the earth yeah and therefore around the sun it is tidally locked that's what i'm saying so like wouldn't you always see me and i'd never end up on the dark side of the moon 
Which would mean I'd always be able to see the sun. No, because what about theoretically? No, because there's lunar eclipses where the moon is in shadow. Well, that's uh, that's like a whole positional thing where like the Earth blocks out the sun from the moon. You would still be able to see it, right? Theoretically, it's just the light can't get to but, it, no, so we but, can't see it. Isn't that what's happening there? The time it takes for the moon to rotate once on its axis is equal to the time it takes for the moon to orbit once around the Earth. So yeah, you see where I'm confused. It's confusing language. Humans can never see the far side of the moon from Earth. Yeah, see, so therefore, if you can never see the far side of the moon, you would always be able to see me, which would mean I would always be able to see the sun, except for when the Earth is blocking me out, right? No, 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 here. I don't know, uh, it's confusing. Here, according to Yale, this is too much. <laughs> according to Yale, the far side of the moon is no more and no less dark than the hemisphere we do see. I mean, sure. Why? Because, here we go, the answer lies in moon phases. The hemisphere fully lit is only on the side of the moon we see from Earth during a full moon. So the sunlight side moves, and that's why the moon phases happen, is because it's brighter on different parts of the moon. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, but we're always seeing the same. So if I would become the dark side of the moon. Like, that's why sometimes the moon, you know, as it goes through its phases, depending on where I was, you know, if it was a crescent moon and I was in the middle, you know, I'd all of a sudden be, you wouldn't be able to see me because it'd be blacked out because of where the sun is hitting the moon. <laughs> anyway, so it's the end of day as a concept. But yeah, you technically would already be able to see me if there was light because I'm tidally locked to you. Right. I see. I see. That that makes sense. Okay. I'm on board. We've cracked the case. Good. <laughs> yeah. No, I just think it signals like the end of day as a concept. Like nighttime will be all that's left after the end of day. Well, yeah. Especially because, again, there's no atmosphere, right? So all you're seeing is black space. Right. Very similar vibes during the moon day and the moon night. Yeah. Glad we were able to figure out the moon. We, we did it. We solved the moon. We did it by finding what other people have said and just learning it. <laughs> yeah, we did. So Kid Cudi, right, he's working on his debut album right here in 2008, nine. People have taken notice of him, and they are so excited for his debut album, This Man on the Moon, End of Day, as soon as it was announced. Highly anticipated. Because, you know, his work on all this previous stuff really got their attention. They were really ready to see what a solo effort could do. Obviously, he's been working on some parts of this record for a long time at this point, right? Some songs like Day and Night have been around for years. So mostly this is like a collection of songs from his earlier days. Also, the album almost had a different subtitle. I know we just went... <laughs> on a really long tangent about the end of day, but it was almost called Man on the Moon, The Guardians. Talking about Transformers. Maybe. They went they to the dark, the dark of the dark moon. Of the moon. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe he was. Weren't Transformers really big in 2009? Yeah. Why did that also come up on the Machine Gun Kelly episode? <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it's all cyclical. It's all title locked. <laughs> the podcast is title locked with thimbles and, and Transformers. Right. <laughs> But the reason he changed the subtitle is because he'd started to develop ideas for a trilogy. That's right. You heard it here first. Not first. You probably heard it a lot of other places before this. But The End of Day is the first in a series of albums, concept albums really, that focus on the same central character and kind of draw from the same thematic well, right? Lyrically and thematically, the album's dark and foreboding. It feels very personal, very incisive, and it deals pretty intimately with a lot of topics like fame, substance use and abuse, depression, and a lot more. It was actually so heavy when he finally like first put this album together. He had to go back through and add a couple more 
upbeat, happier, more optimistic songs because he didn't want the album just to be a downer. But that said, you know, in spite of it dealing with more conceptual weight, when he was making this album, he wanted to use these deep themes, but hit them in really easy to digest ways. He didn't want songs that were dense, as you'd say. He wanted to include lyrics that would make his points for him kind of the same way you'd say things in real life. He said, I don't speak like a nerdy guy. I speak like a regular dude. And that's what he wants to convey in his music. You know, he's just a regular dude dealing with a lot of really intense but very real issues. So I think it translates well to an audience. It also moves through these themes and stages of life in several different parts that Cuddy describes as acts that we'll start to get into when we dissect the album. So that's really interesting. It's kind of like, well, with film school background, almost like a screenplay with five different acts that we move through. Other fun facts... The End of Day was recorded, mixed, and mastered at five different studios. Everything from Honolulu to Hollywood to New York City, including the famous record plant in Hollywood where Blondie recorded Parallel Lines, right? Fleetwood Mac did Rumors, and the Eagles did Hotel California. And part of this album was recorded, mixed, mastered at Jim Henson Studios. <laughs> yes, a part of the Muppet Jim Henson Studios. I did a little bit of a, of a mini baby deep dive into this because it's the Muppets. Like, how could I not? Turns out it used to be Charlie Chaplin Studios, like movie studios. The Henson Recording Studio that deals with the music and stuff used to belong to A&M Records, and it contributed to a ton of significant recordings like Carole King's Tapestry, Joni Mitchell's Blue, John Lennon's Rock and Roll, and We Are the World. So the Jim Henson studio has had quite an impact on music and on Muppets and puppetry. That's interesting. Isn't it? I know. Muppets. Who doesn't love the Muppets? Muppet haters. Muppet haters, I guess. On September 15th, 2009, on Universal Motown Records, and as you probably already know, it's rap, kind of techno-pop, very futuristic and modern psychedelia all blended together. And his vocals on this album are really interesting. People have said that it's a blend between rapping and singing. Hazy, melodic talking is how the New York Times described it. How did that grab you, just in general? Whole album, how's his vocal? It's definitely, I think, very unique to anything we've talked about. Yeah, it's, it's unique, for sure. Hmm. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save co- my comments till the end. Ah, oh, wow. Keep you mysterious? That is... Uh, <laughs> I can't tell if that means you didn't like it or you did or if you were neutral. I can't even get a reading on that. Uh, that's the point. I know. <laughs> if I wanted you to be able to get a reading, I would have just given you the, an answer. That's, that's true. <laughs> Cuddy says, each song is a message. All the hooks are stadium-worthy, crowd sing-along, powerful joints. My album definitely needs to be heard loudly. And I think I can agree with most of that. A lot of these definitely sound like like good songs live. Not to the same degree as like Bon Jovi last week, right? But also, a lot of these are pretty good live songs, I would imagine. So the album comes out, and the anticipation was justified. People liked it a lot. They called it one of the strongest debut records of the year. It debuted at number four on the Billboard 200 and sold 104,000 units in the first week. It actually ended up landing on the 2009 year-end charts at number 157, and it performed pretty well 
aside from America, in France. And as popular as it was, his future installments in the Man on the Moon trilogy would actually still surpass it. But today, The End of Day has been certified four times platinum, and numerous artists have really cited it as a touchstone and a big influence for their work, including Logic, Lil Yachty, and Travis Scott. And it's also a notable album for, you know, presenting and expanding the dialogue around mental health, especially in hip-hop culture. In 2009, when this came out, an album this incisive and personal and stuff like that was just not a thing you heard a lot of you know some albums hinted at it or or got into it indirectly but man on the moon is one of the first albums to really directly lay it all out there and i think it's really cool that it was able to influence the genre in such a huge way such a meaningful and impactful way Mm -hmm. well we'll talk more about the album in a bit but as for the rest of kid cuddy's career at the end of the day so far He's put out eight studio albums. He sold 22 million records in the United States alone, which is pretty darn impressive. His most recent projects include the capstone for the Man of the Moon trilogy, The Chosen, released in late 2020, and an LP called Enter Galactic from September 2022. As for his future plans and aspirations, sounds like it's a little uncertain. He has one album left on his recording contract, and it looks like it's slated to come out in the fall of this year, but he's hinted that he might leave the Kid Cudi life behind and pursue a different career path. Whoa! Yeah, I guess we'll just have to see. He's gonna go in that Kid Cudi life. You think he's gonna pivot from Kid Cudi to Kid Cudi? Yeah. I somehow doubt it. But there's a non-zero chance. Never tell me the odds. But yeah, we'll see whether that comes to pass. In the meantime, as Kid Cudi, in his two decades of music making, he's earned a BET Hip Hop Award for Best Hip Hop Video with Day and Night, a Beatport Music Award, which is for recognizing electronic music. He's earned a Critics' Choice Groundbreaker Award at their annual celebration of black cinema and television in 2009. He's won two Grammys on six nominations, and his two wins were in 2012 for Kanye West's All of the Lights, another song we've talked about at length. Hmm. Uh, He's also won two NAACP Image Awards and a Hollywood Music in Media Award for his song Willing to Trust and its placement in a TV movie. He's also been nominated for six MTV Video Music Awards, a Screen Actors Guild or SAG Award, a Teen Choice Award, and more. And he's also done a little bit of acting and directing, if you couldn't tell when I listed off awards from the Screen Actors Guild and Critics' Choice Cinema Awards. I didn't look too far into that because that's prime mixtaper territory at this point. I don't like to step on his toes when I do my research, but he has done some film work after all. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the mixtaper, I do suppose it's time to get into Factor Spin. What do you think? I agree. Let's do it. Let's. Well, let's figuratively speaking i'll do it the mixtaper will do it you i cheer for you on the sidelines you do you're a great cheerleader all right here comes frank get that mixtaper on out here hey it's me the mixtaper hello 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 my friend and enemy my friend of me the mixtaper how are you in my dreams you're in your dreams well good morning i have the heart of a lion um, yeah i bet you do how do you feel about the moon gonna steal it that feels like a thing that's been done before it feels like a, like a movie trope i've heard of <laughs> what do you think i got the idea oh there's nothing nothing more dastardly than stealing another villain's plot fair also okay not to drag us back into like moon things but would it be illegal to steal the moon it's not like it belongs to anyone fair enough is it really even stealing I, it belongs to America. It's got America's flag on it. Okay, that's... <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, technically it, it does have America's flag on it. We got there first. We claimed it. 
Now, Mars, no flag, so. Oh, true. No flag on Mars. So what if we stole Mars? What do you have to do to steal Mars? Clearly, I mean, like, you can't shrink it and take it like Despicable Me. Is it the flag? Like, if we got a mixtape or flag up on Mars, oh, is it yours? That's how we steal the moon. We go replace the American flag with a mixtape or flag, and it's stolen. Just capture the flag with the United States government. <laughs> First one to take the enemy's flag to Mars wins. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> where the that's where the capture zone is. But but they're getting your flag from Earth. No, it's one flag capture the flag where there's a flag in a neutral location. The both teams are trying to get it and be the first one to return it to their base. But but both your bases are on Mars. No, but they're well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to think about the game before we present it to the government as a challenge we should establish some rules we, we, we both start on earth and the first one to get to the moon take the other one's flag and get it to mars wins okay but your flag's not on the moon yet it will be so we have to go share the moon first but then for sole ownership <laughs> it's a race to mars yeah i think you understand clearly i don't think you understand clearly anyway we keep getting off on moon tangents so I bet you got some interesting facts about Kid Cudi. About the moon, yeah. Oh, oh. I hope your facts aren't about the moon, because that's going to be... Annoying? Not what the game is about. <laughs> but sure. My first fact, the moon is made of cheese. Oh. Well, that feels pretty like a spin. Ooh, sorry, that's a true fact. Uh, Anyway. Hmm. Pick a number, one through four. I don't think I've started with three in a while. What's fact number three? Did you just start with fact number three last week? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe I did. What of it? Fair enough. It's been a while. It's been a whole week. It's been a whole week. A seven days. <laughs> it's been like a moon afternoon since I've picked. Oh, that's fair. It's been a moon afternoon since I picked Fact 3. Moon afternoon. That's a really good phrase. I, I actually really like that. Oh, man. It's a week. Every week is a moon afternoon. <laughs> one, one week out of every month, I guess. He made a large but generous purchase. Well, that's nice of him. How large? Mm. How large of a purchase are we talking? Oh, wonderful. Thank you for asking that question. Let's play everybody's second favorite game show. Guess that dollar amount. I knew it as soon as the words started to leave my mouth. A fitting end to the year of vengeance, really. Is it a million dollar purchase? No. Which way do I need to go? Way down. Is it a $20 purchase? Up. Okay. 100000 <laughs> Down. 50000 Down. 20000 Down. 10000 Down. 6,000? Down. 4,000? Down. 3,000? Down. 2,000? Hey, we nailed it! First try! <laughs> First try. $2,000 purchase. Well, a million dollars was way off. <laughs> what is his purchase? A gift card. A $2,000 gift card. To where? What establishment? Can you put $2,000 on a gift card? Apparently. Uh, the Hundreds store. The, the Hundreds store. store? It's a clothing store. It's like a dollar store, but everything is 100 times more expensive. <laughs> it's like a $20 gift card to the Dollar Tree. Okay. The Hundreds clothing store. How's this generous? Who's this 20,000... 20, 20,000 pennies for? I See, I saved that. 2,000. No, it's 20,000 oh, pennies. Oh, 20,000 pennies. Yeah, I see what you I did. did I rolled that back so I didn't misspeak. After buying the <laughs> gift card, he let everyone in the store get whatever they wanted. What? Yeah, everybody was in the store. He used the gift card to buy them clothes. But that doesn't make sense. <laughs> why would... That seems so roundabout to the way that I would do that. Well, I mean, why wouldn't he just say, hey, I'm paying for the first $2,000 in orders today, or I'm paying for... 
you know, an item for everyone who checks out up to $2,000. Well, because then how would people know to go buy stuff? His goal is to buy stuff for people who normally couldn't afford that kind of clothing or didn't want to buy that clothing. And so he was like, hey, everybody, get some clothing. Right. But then why wouldn't he just pay for it all on a, like a credit card or some, like a debit card? Why did he have to buy a gift card? What's with the middleman? I don't, know. I don't like it. And why, like... I don't know. What if the final total exceeded $2,000 or was less than and he had a leftover balance on his gift card? It just doesn't seem smart. I just can't wrap my head around why that makes sense as a thing to do. You calling Kid Cudi uh, not smart? No, I might be calling this a lie, though. Oh. So who does he get to go shopping with him to redeem this purchase? Is there a specific group of people? Just everybody that was in the store. But I feel like everybody that was in the store is there because they want clothing from there. Or they're just shopping. You know, they're just looking. They probably do want clothing from there. It doesn't mean they're going to buy any. I guess. And how many people end up reaping the benefits of this? Uh. Mm, the gift card thing is tripping me up too much. I don't think this is true. I think maybe he went on a nice shopping trip with people. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's real. I don't know why he would buy a $2,000 gift card just to turn around and spend it like on the same day at the same place. That doesn't make sense to me. This is a true fact. Why? What? I don't know. <laughs> he walks into a store, says, hey, I'd like to buy a $2,000 gift card. And then they say, sure. Wow. Thank you, Mr. Kid Cuddy. And he says, okay, now. He turns around with his megaphone and goes, everybody, I just bought a $2,000 gift card. Come get in line. And then they get in line and scan their things. And he hands the gift card back to the people who just sold it yeah. to him. And they say, wow, thanks. And then throw it away. Yeah, I guess. What? Oh, wow. That is so, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Oh, I'm mad that that's true. I'm not mad that he did it. I'm just mad that he did it like that. Yeah. And he, this song's simple as that. I don't know if he knows what's simple. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm revoking your number get, uh, your number picking privileges because I've got an order this week. Uh, <laughs> well, you're lucky. <laughs> I, I you're lucky. I went with a good first one. Then, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go with the next one, which is number one, which is uh, he would sometimes eat eight cheeseburger meals a day. How is that not a final ramp? <laughs> eight cheeseburger meals a day himself. He would eat eight cheeseburger meals. Yeah. We're talking like what? Like McDonald's, like Big Mac or Happy Meal or I don't know. Like quarter pound, like half pound cheeseburgers. Like what's a cheeseburger meal? I don't know. What's the restaurant? Do we at least know that? Nope. Why is he eating so many cheeseburgers? Uh, well, it was a rough estimate, right? He says he probably on average did closer to four to five cheeseburger meals a day, but he could do upwards of eight. But but an upwards of eight means that he would sometimes eat eight. Correct. But he says he doesn't do that anymore because now he's trying to cut back and lose weight. Yeah, that's not a good way to lose weight. But when he would do this, eight meals in a day, would he eat other things? No, I think that was pretty it much was it. was just cheeseburger. I hope that was only it. Because <laughs> I'm thinking if it is like just a little like, you know, the McDonald's one where you can get like two cheeseburgers and a fry. Yeah. You know, for a couple bucks. Like if it's those kind of cheeseburgers, I could put away eight in a day. I don't know if it is. No, I could put away eight in a day if it's those little cheeseburgers. I could eat like three of those in one meal. And so all it takes is, you know, like two and a half meals, lunch, dinner, and like a midnight snack. Or breakfast, an existing meal, <laughs> but sure. Um, Nobody wants cheeseburger meals for, although I guess with the implication of meals, it means I'd have to eat all the fries and yeah. stuff too. So maybe that would be a bit much. Yeah, he didn't just eat cheeseburgers. He ate cheeseburger meals, apparently. Or maybe he did just eat cheeseburgers for his meals. I can't tell if the meal yeah, is made of cheeseburger know. or the meal was made of cheeseburger meals. It's a little confusing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. How long did he do this? What was his cheeseburger binge like? Doesn't say. As far as I know, he still could be doing it. Wow. Just, you know, in lesser quantities. 
Is he trying to lose weight? But we don't know where from, and we don't know all the specifics. Oddly enough, I guess I believe it. I'm going to lock in that it's a fact, and I'm going to be pretty annoyed if you say he only ate seven. <laughs> this is a spin. Oh, come on. <laughs> I made one distinction here that made this a spin. No. <laughs> it was that he wasn't doing this a day. He was doing this a week. Oh, oh gosh. That's way better. That's like so much more reasonable. A moon day. Yeah. Oh, no, the moon afternoon. In <laughs> a moon afternoon. Yeah, you know, he spent a moon afternoon eating cheeseburgers. Sure. Eight of them, up, upwards of eight. Wow. That's like way better. That's one a day plus an extra. Yep. Eight a day. I mean, that's a lot of cheeseburgers. I don't know why I believe that. Red, like retrospectively, that's a, that's a stupid amount of cheeseburgers. It's a lot. <laughs> That's like 56 cheeseburgers a week. Listen, I've learned from tongue flicking that I got to go high with the numbers or that you don't believe it. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. 60 tongue flicks is too few. 60 cheeseburgers is too many. All right, up next, number two. He measures the success of his career through a movie. What movie is that? Walk Hard. Hmm. I know Connor loves the movie Walk Hard, and that yep. annoys me already. <laughs> the movie Walk Hard, for the audience that doesn't know. I think we brought it up one other time unless it got cut. It might have come up. It's a parody of the life story of Johnny Cash, right? Told by John C. Riley through this character called Dewey Cox. And he's like a singer, a country musician who yep. whose life is riddled with peril and fraught with disaster. What? How does Kid Cudi use this as a measuring stick for his own career? He uses it to chart his career's tra trajectory. Yeah, but like how? In what way? Just, you know, Dewey Cox's career was a bit of a roller coaster. And sure. so based on what's going on in his life and how successful he is and what's going on, he's where he's kind of at on the, on the roller coaster and adjusts accordingly. Ah. Oh. Wow. So if he's like, if he's ripping a sink out of a wall, he can line that up with a point in the movie and be like, okay, I've only ripped out like two sinks. So I'm at this stage of my Dewey Cox so phase. I'm doing all right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What are the odds that this is true? This is so Connor specific. Well, luckily you're playing against the next neighbor and not Connor. I know. And it's the year of vengeance. This might be one last little dig into the year of vengeance. Oh, this could ruin my not losing streak that I've got going. Well, we don't know about last week's yet. Okay, shut up. <laughs> I find this one hard to believe. And therefore you're going to believe it? I'm not going to believe it. I think if this was true, you absolutely would have found it and latched onto it. And there was no way you wouldn't have said this. It feels a little too coincidental. It feels a little too on the nose. And so I'm going to say it's a spin. This is a true fact. No way. <laughs> no way. Really? Yeah. Cuddy has taken inspiration from, from films a lot, actually, in terms of things like this. He also looks at Close Encounters with the Third Kind and E.T. as inspirations. Wow. What part of his career is he in now? What part of the story? I don't know. Seems to be not in any of the bad parts. Seems to be doing all right. Yeah. Fair enough. That I'm shocked. I'm genuinely shocked that that was true. And here, and about Kid Cudi, like an artist that you, that Connor and you, like might never have looked into. Yeah. And you share the love of this movie. <laughs> we got that in common. I, I also use it to uh, measure the success of my career as a supervillain. Yeah. I'm at zero sinks. I'm not doing too well. Well, that's good though, right? Dewey's ripping out sinks when he's doing poorly. So if you're not ripping out sinks, she must be pretty good. Oh, that's true. 
I don't understand metaphors. Right. But that brings us to our final supposedly true fact. I've already locked in my win, but will I get the perfect week to end the year of vengeance? The perfect week. I feel it looming. And I feel like since you decided on an order, this was going to be particularly impossible. It's going to be really hard. If the Dewey Cox, if the walk hard fact was your run up to this, I mean, I'm I'm afraid. Uh, he has been expelled from high school. That was weirdly passive. He has been. Why not? He was. Uh, you're right. He was. Okay. <laughs> he was expelled from high school. Dare I ask what for? I don't know. Do you? Do you dare? I do dare. What for? I don't know. Which time? Which time? Multiple times? Yeah. The first time? Threatening to punch the principal. Oh, well, that would probably do it. What's the context around that? He got mad and threatened to punch the principal. He got mad at the principal? Yeah. Why? He says that high school just wasn't for him and he didn't want to go and got mad at the principal when the principal told him he had to go to class. Okay. What about the second time? For punching the principal. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Second time he gets mad and I guess doesn't hold back. Obviously different school, different principal. No, same school. Oh, he, what? He got expelled and they let him back into the same school? Yeah, he was just expelled for the year. Oh, okay. And he made good on his threat then. Yep. What was the reason this time? Was there anything new added on to it or just the same? I don't have much information on the second one. Okay. Was there a third? (laughs) Oh, you know it. Oh, come on. What was the third one for? Different school. This time, flooding the school bathroom. Uh-oh. Presumably on purpose, not just like a, you know, a, a very big number two. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Clogged up all the drains, turned on the water to all the sinks, flooded the bathroom. No punching. No punching this time. Was there a fourth time? <laughs> there was. I, I figured this fact would still be going. So I guess, yeah, he has been expelled from high school. Kind of maybe is better than was. Was implies once. I guess I should have made it was uh, expelled from school multiple times because this last one was from college. Oh, okay. Checked out of college. Oh, so this is the last one. What happened during the last one? It was University of Toledo for majoring in film and just decided that school still wasn't for him. Yeah. Said, I had so many big dreams, but Ohio wasn't the place for me to execute them. Okay. And? Got in trouble for his uh, smoking habits. Oh, Okay, there it is. I was waiting. I was like, okay, he didn't want to do that. Like, that's quitting school. That's not getting expelled. Smoking habits. Yeah. Feels believable, I'll be honest. As this album should tell you, and as most Kid Cudi fans probably already know, definitely that's like a thing in his life, you know. So I'm sure it could have happened during college, and I'm sure colleges wouldn't have been super cool with it. I think... This is hard. We got four things to contend with here. Mm-hmm. Any one of these could be false. And, yeah. And I don't know what to do about that. Threatening to punch a principal, punching a principal, flooding the bathrooms, smoking. But is it true? I think this is a fact. Yeah, I'm going to say that all four of these are true. It's risky, and I am hinging my entire lack of a shutout on it. Yeah. This is, as I've learned, always go with big numbers to get you to believe it. Yeah. This is... A spin. This is a spin? This is a spin. Figured four times was a big number for getting expelled or kicked out. (laughs) It is. It is. Especially... To have the same school bring him back. That was yeah. uh, a choice. What What's true about this? Uh, he threatened to punch a principal and got expelled. Okay, I, I encountered that during my research. Uh, and so I guess that biased me towards truth in the rest of them, too. Yeah, the rest of them completely made up. That's unfortunate. That's a bummer. Congratulations on a big win. And with the, uh, the end of the year of vengeance ends... 
with the mixtaper on top. Yeah, well, it it does. I mean, that that was a win for you big time. A thorough defeat for me. How are we doing in season six? Good question. It's like the hosts are back on top. Right now, as of the current episode, 104, it's 59 to 56. Wow. The hosts are up 59. You mixtaper have 56. Wow. Wow, indeed. It's a tight race. I wonder when season six will end. I, I, gee, I wonder. <laughs> I better stay on my A game. That's for sure. Because you're hot on my tail. There's three behind you. One more perfect week like that, and I'm in the lead. Yeah, and that may very well just happen to coincidentally be the end of season six. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Not me, that's for sure. But what I do know is when this 104th round of Factor Spin will end, and that's right now. Well, not so fast. No. <laughs> You're going to give yourself a chance to risk that perfect week? Coincidentally, I've got four more facts to boost my scores that you're doing so poorly today. Ah, <laughs> oh, take advantage of my kick me while I'm down. No, 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 no. That's the end. Uh, thanks for playing. Thanks for also playing. Thanks for losing. Thanks for losing? Did you just thank me for losing? Yeah. I mean, what kind of absolute poor sportsmanship is that? I Never in my life. I, Never I, in I, my life have I heard anything said in such poor taste. I was thanking you. That's like a good thing to do. You're supposed to say your please and thank yous. I was uh-huh. I was thanking you. I was trying to be polite. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> and with that, I'm off to learn more about the moon. See you in the year of healing. Yes, I will. Good. For year three. Oh, I guess I should mention also with next week's episode, also will come out the first Hey, it's me on our website and on my Twitter at the underscore mixtaper. Mm, yes, your brand new little mini blog. My new mini blogs where you can learn more about me and the things that I do and think. So uh, check that out. Yeah, we did a little preview in episode 100. Hey, it's me coming soon to a Twitter near you. Till next week. Yeah. Good night, mixtaper. Good good moon night. Good night, but not goodbye. It's moon night right now, but next time we see you, it will be moon morning. It's true. And you know what comes after moon morning? Moon afternoon. <laughs> Let's talk about the album cover of Man on the Moon, The End of Day. It's an interesting one. Let's do it. The album cover shows Kid Cudi's profile morphing into a giant pink and purple and orange moon. And the cover was painted by Bill Seinkiewicz, whose work you may actually be a little familiar with. He's a comic book artist ah. who created art for Marvel's New Mutants and Moon Knight and a lot more. That tracks with what this looks like. Yeah, as it should. Other interesting facts about Bill Seinkiewicz, he has illustrated some Magic the Gathering cards, a Jimi Hendrix biography, and he worked as an animator for Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego. So it's really cool that he got to work on this album cover. It's another feather in his artist's cap. And, you know, it's rightfully a big part of the album's character and the way the album is perceived. What do you think? What do you think of the album cover? I like the colors. It's very colorful. Real cool. There's one thing that bothers me a teeny bit about it. Oh, yeah? What's that? That the curve of his chin doesn't matter with the curve of the moon i mean yeah you're right his head is bigger than the moon i would have liked it better if the head more seamlessly bled into it yeah because the man on the moon is like a popular like legend right that you could see a face in the actual physical like real life moon and for a minute i mean it kind of feels like this album's supposed to be implying that especially with this album cover but you're right since he's so much bigger than the moon that effect is kind of lost as far as, like, the symbolism goes, you know, he is kind of referencing that man in the moon, that face in the moon legend. But Cuddy says the metaphor goes a little deeper than that. He said, the moon is pretty much my place of peace, whether it's a room or my mind. It's really your own personal space. It could be interpreted any different way. I didn't want to have it so literal. 
And I guess really, to look at it, and to talk about some of the tracks that we'll get into on this album, about retreating inward into your own mind and stuff, maybe this represents that all the moon and stuff, like his place of sanctuary, is inside his own head. I don't know. Kind of takes on a deeper meaning. The thing that bothers me about this album cover, and I did not realize it until I started making graphics for this episode, is his tongue. What's he doing with his tongue? What do you mean? Look at him. He's like licking his lip. He is? Which part's his tongue? I think it's it's the little, you can see the space in between his tongue and his upper lip if you look close. Oh, wait. Does he not have a mustache? No. I viewed it as mustache. I don't think it is. Hmm, this is interesting. I Now it's like one of those uh, paintings where there's like two photos. It's like, which one do you see? Yeah, like the duck bunny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly like that. But now I'm not sure. You've got me second guessing. Which is it? Mustache or tongue? I think it's a tongue. If you zoom in bigger, if you, if you blow up that image, it really does. All right. You know what? Let's just post both of my beautiful art drawings on our socials and let people vote. Tongue or mustache? I didn't realize it'd be such a debate, but... Just write tongue or mustache. But he doesn't really have a mustache. I, uh, it seems like a tongue. The people will decide. So they will. But that's pretty much the album cover. It's uh, very symbolic, very colorful. And honestly, uh, it does a good job of providing a good foundation for the future albums in the trilogy to work with. A lot of them draw from the same color palette or stylistic. I can totally see why you think it's a tongue. Because it is! Okay. (laughs) But yes, uh, The Man on the Moon, The End of Day is the first installment of a trilogy. Cuddy says this is literally the beginning, starts off with a dream. All these albums will be dream sequences, but this one is the very first dream. I fall asleep, and from the beginning track, you will definitely feel like you're in a dream state. But the theme is definitely my rise to fame. The question is, what kind of dream? What kind of dream? Is it a good dream or maybe a nightmare? Or a nightmare. Yeah, so let's talk about the album. It is structured in an interesting way. It is. Uh, As a guy who learned a lot about stories and went to film school and stuff, he put this album together as kind of a five-act play, almost. It's got five different movements that we go through. And it kicks off with Act 1, appropriately titled The End of Day. And what do you do at the end of the day? Well, you sleep. Uh, At the end of the day, I sleep. But at the end of day... I party. Oh, I see. That makes sense. So fittingly, you know, in the context of sleep and the end of the day. In my dreams, though. In Yeah, in my dreams. We start off with in my dreams. What you would normally do when you sleep. I'm just saying, I party in my dreams. You party in your dreams? What do you do when you're awake? I'm just saying, at the end of the day, I sleep. At the end of day, I party in my dreams. So you're also asleep. Yeah, but I don't know what, what just happened until I'm already asleep and I see if I'm partying or not. Then I know if it was the end of the day or just the end of day. Okay. I find out in my dreams. Right. What you, would you think of the start of the album? It's unassuming. It's a little... He's here. Ooh, Kid Cudi? Yeah, he is. He's here. A lurking in the shadows. I can sense him. What are you talking about? He's here! He's not. 2009 Kid Cudi can't hurt you anymore. It was an interesting start, though. It is. Yeah. It's kind of like we talked about a couple episodes back on Abraxas, how it lulls you into the album a little bit. It doesn't hit you with anything too overwhelming. It just kind of drifts you off down into sleep. You know, for an intro track, it's a full three minutes in length, first of all, and it's not very wordy, which gives him a lot of time to build this sonic atmosphere with the instrumentals. And that's part of why it's so floaty and soft. You know, occasionally there's a little beepy synth or a burst of strings, but... Really, I think it does emulate that feeling of drifting off to sleep. What does it mean by cutter anthem? Well, that's like his nickname. Oh. It's a nickname for his nickname. 
You know what I mean? Oh. It's a double nickname. I see. A nick nickname, if you will. I like the, uh, you're in my dreams. Yeah. That's a good run. Yeah, he's got a nice little melody here. And it's that whole kind of mumble singing that, that we see for the first time here. It's like not rap. It's not talking. It's not singing. He just kind of constantly floats between those methods of delivery. He does this song in the same cadence that I talked after getting my wisdom teeth out. Oh, okay. I like that. Still got a little bit of that laughing gas on me. Yeah, but you're like in and out of consciousness, maybe you're in dozing. In and out of it, yeah. yeah. I like that. It's kind of, it needs its own word. He's not talking, rapping, or singing. He's, uh... He's he's just dreaming. He's just dreaming. <laughs> dreaming his way through this album. It's true. It's just pleasant, and nothing's really gonna hurt you. Nothing can touch you. You're just dreaming. The track ends with this interesting spoken narration by Common. That's the name of the rapper who is our narrator. And he gives this little monologue on leadership and pressure and purpose and escape. He says, This is the story of a young man who not only believed in himself, but his dreams too. This is the story of the man on the moon. So all of a sudden we're drifting off to sleep and then we're thrust into this dream world with kind of an overview of who Kid Cudi is as a person in Soundtrack to My Life. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little less dreamy, a little more storytelling. People really point to this song and to his honesty and candor as a bit of a pivotal moment for emo rap because he's really starting to talk about things and, you know, issues, personal struggles that just didn't have a place in the genre before. And as for its album placement, Kid Cudi says it's like the perfect alley-oop for the whole album because it sets the flow. It kind of lets you know what we're going to be talking about by giving us an overview of his life, of his struggles and his worries and his stresses. You know, he talks about growing up, the death of his father. He talks about depression and loneliness. And so he says that he created this entire album to show the other people who experience those kinds of things, those feelings and those struggles, that they're not alone, that other people out there can relate. So it's kind of a, an album with a mission. Yeah. What'd you think? It's a little more rappy. He stops dreaming his way through a little bit and does have some moments that I would call actually like rapping, rapping. I got 99 problems and they're all Dalmatians. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but not Pongo and whatever his wife's name was. Just all the all the little runts. Just all the kids. How do you think Kid Cudi as a rapper compares to other rappers we've talked about? This is a whole kind of unique style here. Yeah, it is. I don't know if you liked it better or worse. I uh I've heard it before. I've heard of him. I kinda cut that to my earlier to myself. Wow. When you asked and I kinda made jokes about it. Yeah. But uh I know who he is. I don't think I knew this album. No, probably not. But I, I've heard some of his music. I have a friend who likes his music. Oh, okay. And in fact, had said we should do him way back like when we started this podcast. Wow. Well, I hope you're still out there, friend, and have been patient for the last 104 episodes. He's just he's just very different than... Uh, who else have we talked about? Kanye, Kendrick, Lil Wayne, A Tribe Called Quest. He's really kind of in his own space. As far as soundtrack to my life goes, the verses lyrically are great. I think they're really strong lyrically, but musically, there's not much there for the verses. What what really breaks the song out is the chorus, which is backed up by an organ, really cool chords, and a very persistent bass. The music's good. The music's great, right? I know the chord progression, like, it's, it's repeated over and over a lot, but it feels very cool and unique with these back-to-back -back minor chords. I like it a lot. Actually, the producer, Emil Haney, who's mostly just referred to as Emil, talked about the writing process, not just for soundtrack, right, but for the rest of the album. He said most of it 
was just him messing around on a keyboard. He said it would just be some chords, and then we'd kind of build around that. So he wouldn't come to the table with a full beat or a full backing track ready. He'd just mess around with some stuff, and they'd figure out, you know, yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. You know, and just just workshop it until it was ready to go. That's interesting. It is. He said soundtrack to my life was one that they cut in a single night because they just were so excited about it and ready to get it done. Huh. And one certified poetry lyric that always strikes me, very pertinent to the man on the moon motif, happens in verse two. He says, the moon will illuminate my room and soon I'm consumed by my doom. How is the moon illuminating his view if he's on the moon? Ooh. Take notes, Kid Cuddy. Deep questions. Honestly, it has to be, right? Because think about this. The reason the moon looks like it's lit up is because it reflects the sun. Sure. So if the moon looks light to Kid Cudi while he's on the moon, that's because it's all, it's reflecting the sun. Just It's a lot shorter distance. Well, no, but the sun wouldn't be illuminating anything at that point because it's the distance that makes it look illuminated, right? Like if he was there on the moon, it's not going to look like a, a, like it does from Earth. You know, it's not going to look all lit up. It's going to be bright like it is on an Earth daytime. Sure. Yeah, but that's not going to illuminate. Is the sun? Is the sun bouncing off the moon? There's there's no moon to illuminate. It's the sun bouncing no. off. Yes. No, it's just the sun. It's just the sunlight that's coming in from from the sun. But it's bouncing off the moon to his eyes. That's why things are visible here. Is because the sunlight bounces. No, no, off. no, no, no. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. Light hits the thing and hits your eyes. The reason the moon illuminates on Earth is because we can't see the sun, so it's now the brightest thing because of all the sun rays bouncing off of it, right? But if you're on the moon, yeah, the brightest thing is to you is still going to be the sun. But and therefore the sun is what is giving you light, not the moon. But the light from the sun hits the ground of the moon and reflects to your eyes, which is why you can see it. And that's how you see the moon, yes. But all the light that you're seeing is just from the, it's just from the sun. That's all the light you ever see. No, but it's not the same. Like the brightness, the brightness that's giving you the ability to see is coming directly from the sun because it's like daytime because you're on the moon. And not on Earth. If I'm on Earth looking at the moon, the reason it's bright is because of the sun. If I'm on the moon and looking at the moon, the reason it's bright... Right, but it's illuminating because there is no sun to illuminate for you. It is sunlight bouncing off the moon because the actual sun is not present. But if you're on the moon, the sun is present and giving you the light directly. It's not bouncing off of the moon and coming to you to illuminate your room. The moon isn't shining through your window. The sun is. Oh, well, I guess, you know what? I'm not (laughs) thinking about him having a house on the moon. I guess he does say it's in his room. Isn't that what he said? He says through the window, right? Yeah, he talks about having a room. Yeah. So I guess if the sun was coming directly through the window and not bouncing off the moon, I just pictured him standing on the moon. Well, maybe you should read the lyrics next time before you try to get into silly arguments with me. How about that? I'm just saying (laughs) the moon doesn't ever illuminate anything. It's not true. Not by itself, it doesn't. I would argue the moon is playing a very pivotal part in illuminating at night for the Earth. Without the moon, there'd be no light. It's just the sun's mirror. Yeah, but without the moon being there to bounce the light at us, we wouldn't have the illumination. The moon is required. So what you're saying is when the light hits the moon, the moon becomes the thing that illuminates. Yeah. Right, that's what I'm saying. No, what you were saying is that if you were on the moon in your house... That the moon was what was providing the light. And it's not. It's still the sun in that scenario. You wouldn't say during the daytime, the moon is what's providing us the light. Because it's the sun directly coming to Earth. It's not bouncing off of anything to provide light. The the light bounces off the Earth. We don't say our light comes from the Earth. We say it comes from the sun. 
This episode's out of control. You know, I mean, no, I'm serious. That last one, I stand by what I just said. It's a technicality. Well, I just think if you're going to be a professional dreamer, you got to take these things into consideration. Fair enough. Wow. Anyway, uh, I know that's a pretty complicated concept we're trying to hash out here, but really, <laughs> what Kid Cudi is going for is simple as one, two, three. <laughs> Track three. A, B, C. A, B, C. Yeah. One, two, three. That's right. Track three is simple as that sample that you're referencing at the very beginning, and it makes up most of the hook. That comes from a surreal avant-garde song called ABC Auto Industry by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, or OMD. I listened to this. I watched this video. It is weird. It's a weird song. I believe it. It's not like he's changed the sample to, to fit this song, right? That's actually how it sounds with the almost apathetic voices and the strange rhythms. and Interesting. Yeah, it's weird. But it can pretty easily be extrapolated and is often misconstrued, maybe, to be a reference to the Jackson 5's much more popular variant, ABC 123. <laughs> this is one of those upbeat songs that he added to keep the record light before it deep dives into intensity. It's about pursuing the simple things in life, living right, getting enjoyment from it. I had a line I really liked in this one. Really? What's that? Simple as that. The first line in verse 1. The first line in verse 1. Pun intended, it's a pretty simple song. It's built on that sample and a drum beat and a really nice hook, like you just mentioned off the podcast, that sticks in your head forever. I like it a lot. It exists. It exists? You didn't love it? Uh, I'll, I'll never say I love it, but I might say I like like it. Okay, that's not bad. Then I'll take a like like. But I don't like like it either. Oh, shoot. But it's simple. <laughs> simple as one, two, three. Yeah, I can't count. Why I hired squirrels. Fair enough. The song ends with another visit from our resident narrator. Now that we're firmly entrenched in the dream world. But it's not all happy and sunshine and roses like Kid Cudi indicated earlier on the record. The narrator lets us know. He says a dark chapter unfolds throwing Scott into the most eerie and unstable part of his imagination. So intense that he cannot tell his dreams from reality. And so we enter the album's second act, The Rise of the Night Terrors. He's getting closer. Yeah. I feel his power growing. It's it's true. The nightmares are getting intense, and they pick up with the first track that's labeled with the parenthetical designation of Nightmare, Solo Dolo. It's another nickname Kid Cudi has kind of given himself. Oh. I mean, a little bit, right? It kind of is a character, but it's a character built around, like, very much of his real experience. It's a song about loneliness, you know, feeling totally isolated in the world, or like you would feel, I guess, living on the moon, and how Cuddy tries to cope with and escape the feeling. In his own words, he says it's probably the darkest, most eerie record on the album. He said it's literally the darkest side of my dreams, and it pulls you right into that. It's meant to be scary, in a sense. What do you think? I like the um, cascading piano. Yeah. At the beginning. is like a perverted, nightmarish version of Simple As. It is a little bit. Like you got the, the clunk, 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 clunk. That's like the A, B, C, one, two, three, one, two, three. Yeah. The, it's like the dream is transforming into a nightmare, right? It's like it's like when yeah. you're having a good dream and it transforms into a nightmare and details about the dream turn nightmarish. It's like that's what's happening. That's exactly how it's supposed to feel. And it is, yeah, that plucky little plink, 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 plink really does call to mind ABC one, two, three. That 
Actually, it's another sample. That is the slowed down version of a song called The Traitor by Menahan Street. I knew it. You knew it. You didn't know that. No, I didn't. I just wanted to say that. I was going to say. According to Emil, he just had that song on in the background. You know, they weren't really looking for samples. They weren't really listening to it for anything. It was just background noise. But when this track started, they said it just captivated them. And they decided to slow it down by like a lot, maybe half speed. And then they put it here on the album. It's interesting and it almost feels wrong to listen to it sped up. Now that I'm so familiar with the solo dolo version. Huh. Yeah. It's it's interesting, too, because that effect of slowing it down makes it sound a little unnatural. Like, that's not how those instruments would really sound if you played them in real life. It feels nightmarish, like you're walking through molasses. You know, everything feels heavy and dragging. It's a slog. Oh, it's just wild. Yeah. And lyrically, it's pretty strong right from the drop. I mean, that very first verse <laughs> comes in hard and fast. Listen good. I don't have nobody but what I might feel are the sounds of sanity, hoping what I hear loops itself continuously, then I won't be afraid. That's a lot of words. It's, it's like a word salad, but I like it. And it starts out, you know, part mopey, but as the song progresses, he gets less mopey and more angry and aggressive. Instead of, I don't have anybody, he changes to, listen good, I don't need nobody. You know, he talks about giving the finger to people who said he was an outcast or made him feel that way. He starts to get defiant and kind of pushes back against this loneliness. It's good. And then we move into Heart of a Lion, which is subtitled Kid Cuddy theme music. Which is different from the Cutter anthem. It is, yeah. There are... There are a lot of subtle distinctions like that on this album. I think it's a fast bounce back from our first nightmare. It's this anthemic kind of track. You know, he's staying defiant. That cold, bitter pushback at the end of the last song turns into this bold defiance. He's got the heart of a lion. He said, I wanted to immediately get into it. This is why right after Solo Dolo, you get more energy with Heart of a Lion, where it's like a battle in my own mind. It's a record that felt so triumphant when I heard the beat, and I was just immediately compelled to make it my theme music. He actually calls it the Millennium Eye of the Tiger. Huh. Yeah, and I don't... I don't like that. You don't like that? <laughs> As a big, big fan of Eye of the Tiger, I don't like that. Well, I think what it is is they're just thematically similar themes, right? About perseverance and, and sticking to your goals and triumph, right? But then also, they are both about big cats. What's the next body part big cat combo song? <laughs> I was just I'm thinking about that. <laughs> Eye of the Tiger, the heart of a lion. I think we're running with the foot of a cheetah. Foot of a cheetah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That's the 2023 Eye of a Tiger. I was thinking, I was trying to come up with something cool for a jaguar, just because I think the jaguar is cool. Like the tooth of a jaguar? Oh, that would keep us in the upper body. Upper body on a big cat feels subjective. Like, they, they're sideways. Yeah, they still have an upper body. What I would call the upper body on a person is just the front body on a cat. Yeah, well, yeah, you call it the forebody is the, is the term, but it's the same thing. Okay. Snow leopard. Spots of a snow leopard. Okay, yeah. What a trope. What if it was like Will of the Snow Leopard? The Will of the Snow Leopard? Awesome. Yeah, that's that's a good one, that's right? That's like the plot of Kung Fu Panda. They're in really cold climates, so you know. Yeah. You got like that. But also, aren't they like endangered? Like super endangered? Oh, I don't know. There are only like a couple thousand of them left. Ooh, yeah. 
between, th this is very specific, 3,920 and 6,390 snow leopards left in the wild. That is, I wonder how they came up with those numbers. Interesting. I know. What, what is that range? Strange. Will of the Snow Leopards going on Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' album. That'll be my rap song. There's like a 2,470 leopard window. Have we not accounted for those 2,470 leopards? Like, might they be out there? I don't know. Maybe we think they're out there, but we haven't had confirmation in a while, so we're a little worried. Like, at, at max maximum like it hasn't been long enough to file a missing uh, a missing cats report a missing yet leopards report yeah but you know we're getting a little worried because they're usually back by now mm, right they just said they're going out for milk and cigarettes and we haven't heard from them mr snow lodolo <laughs> snow lodolo what that's so dumb it is ah. will of the snow leopard i unironically love that yeah it's the Will of the Snow Leopard, he went out last night to get milk and cigarettes for the party. And the last 3,920 known survivors stalked their, <laughs> stalked their prey in the night in the parking lot of the Myers. I don't know how else to end that. I don't know either. <laughs> of the Myers. I don't know why all the existing <laughs> snow leopards are hanging out in the Myers parking <laughs> present throughout this whole song is this little tug of war of no and yeah especially in the bridge that really represents this internal struggle that he's trying to face when everything seems to be telling him no he pushes through and tells them yeah he rebuts them with the affirmative musically heart of alliance kind of wild because it's so strongly rooted in that one minor chord in the verses except for like a slight little turnaround chord between phrases i can't believe that minor piano the whole time doesn't feel more exhausting than it does somehow i think it works not as well as eye of the tiger i admit but it's not bad but then we get welcomed to my world in track six my world it's the last little bit of act two rise of the night terrors he's getting closer i can't stop him who kid cuddy he's coming he he we're in his world my world is interesting i like my world you liked it it's not my favorite to be honest how dare you i know i know i'm sorry basically it's a, another song of confidence imagination determination he sees a world he wants to enter and conquer, and so he does it. He's the man on the moon, right, stuck alone and in his nightmares, but he's looking to the world and plotting ways to take it over. To put it through his own lens, he says it's really like speaking about my life in Cleveland and then my life in Brooklyn. He said it's kind of like a Martian that's sitting on the planet looking at this planet from far away. He said you come here, you play the gentle creature, and you're in the back and you're like, okay, I'm going to conform and be nice to everyone, but I'm going to destroy this planet when I get the chance. To put it concisely, like he does in the chorus, this will be my world, I told you so. It's an interesting concept for a song, I think, to kind of try and deceive the world to get in their good graces until you can blow up and take it over. I don't think you hear many songs like that. Yeah, I agree. I just, I, again, I like the slower melody to this one. It is a lot slower. It's not the same kind of slowness as, you know, the dream entry or solo dolo with the creepy bit, but it, it's its own unique kind of slowness. It samples different bits of a 1971 song called All What I Have. It kind of reminds me of Inner Wave, at least on this track, with the way that they style their vocals. And you can actually hear some of the original vocals from the real song underscoring Cuddy in the chorus. I kind of, it's all right. Musically, it's that chill track. I like it as a placeholder between the pep and punch of soundtrack and Heart of a Lion. But, you know, it's not quite the nightmare of Solo Dolo. It's a good middle ground. 
Then we get another nightmare at the beginning of Act 3, subtitled Taking a Trip with the song Day and Night. This is the song I knew from this one. I'm sure you did. This is absolutely Kid Cudi's biggest song. It's the one that got him discovered, put him on the map. It was the first song he ever put out as a demo on MySpace. And honestly, it's pretty impressive how that shook out. You know, it's basically his biggest hit even still. I probably first heard this song without even realizing it in the video game Watch Dogs. I like Day and Night a lot. He said, my uncle that I lived with passed in 2006, but he talked about how they were on bad terms. You know, he kind of got kicked out under unfortunate circumstances, and he and his uncle, you know, were kind of button heads a little bit, and he passed away, and it never got resolved. Cuddy says, I was bitter. I never apologized for it, and that kills me, and that's why I wrote Day and Night. It's an interesting song. Cuddy once again puts himself into the shoes of his protagonist and envisions himself as the lonely stoner, And he talks about living in a small apartment where the lights didn't really work. You know, it's only lit by the natural light. So when he's in that living situation, the daytime and the nighttime are very distinct factors of his situation. Like at night, while there's no sunlight to see, his room is not illuminated. And so he would write a lot of his music at night since he couldn't really see to do much else. Mm. Day and night are kind of like the two halves of his existence. It's very clever. Also, that little beepy... (laughs) I guess, synth part behind it. That little repeated arpeggio is so cool. That's become iconic, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really good. Yeah, they just hit my brain the right way. I like them a lot. And not only does Day and Night start Act 3, it also presents us with another nightmare. You know, it's dark, he's alone with his thoughts, it feels like this spiral. That's Day and Night. Ooh, I like it a lot. After Day and Night, we move into Sky Might Fall. But will it? But will it? It's a great question, you know? Who knows? It might. It might, it might. We can't say for sure whether it will. It's the song, yet again, about perseverance, keeping on in the face of daunting odds and learning to move forward anyway. But instead of the confidence of Heart of a Lion, it's kind of got this, oh well, style to it, you know? Yeah. It's a very matter-of-fact song. And and honestly, the production kind of echoes that because lyrically, it doesn't have the immediacy of, like you said, you know, the sky's falling right now, right? We don't have to do something about it right now. Or it doesn't have the mournfulness of the sky has fallen and we're trying to pick up the pieces. We just don't know if it's going to fall or not. So we're trying to prepare for that eventuality. And I think it's fitting that the music kind of walks that line in between too frantic and too sad. It, It does a good job of establishing the middle ground and landing on it. It does. It's a nice uplifting song. It's a good one. I agree. Up next is track number nine, Enter Galactic. Enter Galactic. Love Connection, part one. Part one. Darn right. Where is part two? Nobody knows. Don't even ask about part three. No, there definitely are part twos and so on. He did Part two! Part two, part two, part two! He did make a trilogy of Man on the Moon albums, and with those come more love connections. So there's three love connections? Uh... There's at least two. I mean, he has released an entire album called Enter Galactic. Wow. I don't care about the intergalactic part. I care about the love connection part. Well, there's definitely a love connection too, but it does not look like there's a part three. See, I told you don't ask about it. Yeah, we don't talk about love connection part three. If you haven't guessed by now, a big part of Kid Cudi's story and of the narrative of this album revolves around drug use, and that's particularly apparent right here in Intergalactic. He said, early on in my New York days, I met this girl and we hit it off, and we did shrooms at her apartment, and we just kind of had this really magical night and it was so intergalactic you know and that just stuck with me so that's where they make this love connection in the song and that's what the chorus is referring to when he says get ready pop it let's go they're not just popping anything they're popping shrooms (laughs) 
psychedelics, you know? It's an interesting change of pace for the album. Act 3 is really turning into a doozy. Musically, the whole song's super upbeat and driven, and honestly, I think that kind of camouflages pretty well the hurt and the depression that's behind it. You know, he's doing this to try and manufacture happiness and a love connection artificially, when he's simultaneously like giving up on finding one naturally. But honestly, what a well-produced song. Enter Galactic, for me, I feel like production-wise, at least, it's right up there with like day and night. Yeah, I'm a fan of the Nightmare songs. The Nightmare songs? Well, but the Love Connection song. Yeah, it's okay. I don't know. You're right, though. As the concept album guy, right? As this is a pretty significant concept of an album the nightmare songs are the ones that move that story forward the most yeah i agree well lucky for you nightmare song is up next enter galactic ends with the return of our narrator common who explains that the peaceful place mr solo dolo is in is now filled with his wildest dreams it's his new sanctuary and his new home and he pushes us forward into act four stuck which begins firmly in the nighttime hours with alive the next nightmare you know days over over, it's dark out, and this is the time Cuddy feels like he really comes alive. Alive is a lot, to be honest. He's kind of stuck in this altered state, and in Cuddy's own words, it's very werewolf-like. I don't know, do you get werewolf vibes from the song? No. <laughs> That's what he was going for. He said, metaphorically speaking, I'm turning into this beast, where he goes out on a night, gets drunk, and looks for girls. He's on a prowl. In Cuddy's words, he says the werewolf is kind of, though, looking for a change of scenery, looking for a girl to help him break the curse and make him human again. So it's kind of this self-awareness, this this honestly calling act four stuck and starting it off with alive is an interesting choice because he's so entrenched in his way of life, so stuck with the way that he is. He's just clawing and scratching and like trying everything he can to get out of his status quo. I see. I like alive conceptually for that. Musically, I don't think Alive is anything to write home about. I agree. Least favorite of the Nightmare songs. Least favorite? Wow. I think so. Interesting. It is also, I would say, my least favorite of the Nightmare songs. And that's interesting because it's also a little more guitar-centric than some of his other ones. But it definitely does have that kind of prowl feel to it, you know? But after the werewolfy, prowly vibes of Alive, we move into Cuddy Zone. Or as I made several jokes in my notes before I knew how his name was pronounced, the Cootie Zone. The cootie zone. <laughs> Ew. He's almost here. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I can't I can't contain it much longer. Contain what? So cootie zone. Right. Kid Cuddy actually ran into some difficulty writing this song. He says that Emil was able to get the beat together in about ten minutes, but he was writing these really, really long verses. I mean, look how long verse one is. Mm -hmm. It's enormous. But he loved it. It was so good. And he was afraid that he couldn't make a second verse that was equally long in the same quality. So he put this song on the back burner for a long, long time. Honestly, like six months he spent with nothing except for the first verse of this song. But six months later, he got it together, came up with a verse he really loved, and laid it down like he had written it 10 seconds beforehand, you know? It's pretty great. And to his credit, I do think this is one of the best stretches of rapping on the album. It feels very intentional and very direct, like he's got a lot to say and he knows it. Uh And I think one of the advantages, I mean, it's got a lot of lyrics, right? This is a dense song, but he condenses them into such a short space and it allows the song to still have these moments that cut back where the strings and the music can just hang out and it gives the chorus room to spread out and not be so compact. The verses 
are full, but they're normal length, which I think is honestly a big advantage of rap. They can fit a lot of words into a little space. Yeah, that is an advantage. I'll give I'll give them that. Yeah, them. I will concede that fact. Them, the genre of rap. Yeah. Fair enough. The song itself is about being high, so Cuddy Zone is kind of a clever little pun. Plus, the song is four minutes and 20 seconds long. That's Cuddy Zone. It's all right. I like it. It's fine. Dense. Lyrically, very dense, but very good. Up next is track 12, Make Her Say. He's here! He's here! Oh, I see, I see. (laughs) You were talking about Kanye West. The man, the myth, the note taker. The note taker. Yeah, Kanye is directly featured on Make Her Say. He's done some production work, I think, uh, intermittently throughout the album, but this is the only time. That's why I could feel him. Yeah, this is the only time his voice is heard. I figured, you know what? What a fitting way to close out the year of vengeance with just a slight return (laughs) to one of the things that brought you the most ire. The sins of the father. That's all I have to say. Right. I like the poker Lady Gaga poker face sample. Poker face. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say you might have noticed that some of the song sounds familiar. It is almost entirely built around an acoustic version of Lady Gaga's smash hit Poker Face. When are we going to do Lady Gaga? Well, now she's in the spin cycle. Now we got to do her. Add her to the list. Yeah. Gotta Gaga. Gaga Gaga. <laughs> I just sound like Mr. Krabs. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's the prevalence of the sample in this song or what. I don't know if it makes the song feel less original. I don't know. I just don't love it. No, it does. I did not enjoy Poker Face here. It feels... I agree. It feels intrusive on an album that so far has been really immersive. I think Poker Face, for as big of a song as it was, I I feel like it pulls me right out of the flow and out of the world and the story entirely. It's like I've woken up in the middle of the deep dream trance state that we've been in. And I'm like, whoa, where am I? What, What year is this? You know? I'm not even saying it's a bad song necessarily. I just do think it's bad for this record. Ditch it on this album. It's also thematically a bit of a pivot too. We're in this stuck era, right? He's in this rut, this werewolf transformed state. And, you know, the last song was about the pleasures of this substance-induced dream. Make Her Say is about a more physical kind of pleasure. And uh, the song is no longer about a game of poker, if it ever was. Who's Common? Common's the narrator. Oh. Yeah. It's the first time he was actually credited on Spotify, so I didn't know. Yeah, it is. He does rap. That's why he's on this. He's not just the narrator. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think it's okay. I think some of the redeeming qualities, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, like that's a good melody. That's strong. I just, I don't know, again, just don't like it for this album. And I just don't like it. There you go. I mean, you don't have to, and I don't blame you. Kanye West is another strikeout for you. He did not take notes. He, he sure didn't. Although this was before My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy even came out. So he just hadn't had the chance to take notes yet. Well, then he really didn't take the notes. He took notes from this to make My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Not good enough ones, that's for sure. Well, that's what I mean. He was still developing. And then he got really bad. He's It's like he's untaken his notes over the course of his career. Yeah. He's really Benjamin Buttoned it. Yeah. I've never seen that movie. I don't know if I made the reference right. I I think you did. Anyway, the Dream World Paradise section we get stuck in for the previous few songs is coming to an end with the next track, Pursuit of Happiness. Another nightmare. Yeah. Is this a nightmare that held up? 
Did this one stick with you? I was kind of surprised at how popular this one was on Spotify. Really? You didn't think it should have been? Not compared to Day and Night. Oh, well, no, that's true. I guess it is comparable, honestly, to Day and Night. It, it, yeah, they're comparable in plays, but... Even though Day and Night is, like, leagues above this one. Even in my head, you're right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it's ironic that this is a nightmare track because, you know, generally, the pursuit of happiness... It's not a thing we associate with nightmares. It is a nightmare. No, it's not a nightmare. It's it's the opposite. It's That's like a good thing. Nah, it's a nightmare making progress and doing what you want to do. As you try to pursue happiness, it's just downfall after downfall, struggle mm. after struggle. I guess, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the case. As he gets into the nitty-gritty of the song, it ends up being like the flip side of Sky Might Fall. You know, Sky Might Fall says things are okay, but they might get bad. Pursuit of Happiness takes a different tone altogether and says things have been really bad. How can I even begin to find contentment in this mess? And it manifests itself, the pursuit of happiness, in the form of the thoughts of escapism that Cuddy's having as he's driving drunk. It's a real nightmare. He said, it's meant to be scary. The craziness, the fact that this person chooses to look for happiness in substances. He said, that's scary. That's a terrible combination and a terrible way to go about things. Which I kind of like, you know, flipping the idea of the pursuit of happiness on its head like that. The chorus kind of very intentionally rings a bit hollow. He says, I'll be fine once I get happiness and everything that shines won't always be gold, but once I get there, I'm set, you know? But the ironic part, the bit of dramatic irony is he's not on a path to get there. We know that. He thinks that he's pursuing happiness, but he's deep down the path in the opposite direction, as we've clearly seen throughout the record. It's wild. And he chooses to end the song with the realization that he's over his head, right? He finally wakes up a little bit. He says, why'd I drink and smoke so much? Room spinning. He realizes that he's at the end of the night, and waking up is gonna be a really difficult but very necessary step. And the album concludes with the return of the morning. You know, the wild ride of the night is over, and we have two tracks to take us out of the album, and those belong to Act 5, A New Beginning. We're going higher. Higher, yes. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's stretched out funny. Higher. Higher is a track that serves a purpose. You know, it's not a standout in its own right, but Cuddy likens this track to the blissful part of waking up. You know, it's still dreamy, but the nightmares are all over. And kind of like the first track, In My Dreams, it's bringing us back to reality slowly. It's almost like, you know how divers have to swim up slowly to avoid decompression and the bends? Higher is a song that seems like that. And having all their organs just come out their out their bottoms. Yeah. Because they get liquidized. Right, and that's what would happen to us. If Cuddy just whipped us out of the dream state and back into real life... Yeah, if we just went right into up, up, and away, like we would have been liquidized. Liquid. Liquid. And I feel like, yeah, we would have had a sonic version of the Benz. Like eating an entire Crave Clutch from White Castles in one sitting liquid. Not a sponsor. No, but I did do that. I've never really been to White Castle, but that sounds horrible. Higher is kind of our decompression piece, either way. It feels a lot less electronic, a lot less of the production that the rest of the album has been, and it's a lot more grounded in R&B. Because that's the real world. Well, yeah, it just feels less dreamy and more natural. I like it. Higher does not leave an impression much beyond its function in the context of the album. Same. Neither the last two do. What? Okay, we're going to talk about that. Oh. Up, Up, and Away is 
the last track. You know, the day begins as the record ends. And fittingly, that's the first lyric on Up, Up, and Away. When the sun comes up, I'll be there to say what up in the morning. I like it. You didn't like Up, Up, and Away? Did I say that? Well, you just said it didn't leave an impression. That doesn't mean it was bad. There's plenty of things that are just mediocre. This was one of the biggest impression levers on me, to be honest. It's the most different, but I kind of liked what we had going on. I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to. You want to stay in the dream. That's fair. This is definitely a shift. Yeah. But I think ending in the morning is such a cool way to wrap this album up. It is. Thematically, it's really cool from a concept album standpoint. From a song standpoint, didn't leave an impression. Wow. Preferred is earlier stuff. Okay. Fair enough. It represents this kind of hope, you know, that was absolutely absent while we were in the dreams and the nightmares and stuff. Up, up, and away, it's like a breath of fresh air. And you know how we talk about a lot of songs that end albums as like curtain call songs? That's absolutely how Cuddy conceptualized this. He said, when I heard the beat, I was like, this is my credit roller. This has to be the last scene on the album. He says it just concludes everything. It's happy, it's uplifting, and it just brings such a great energy out. I like the message of this song, too. He talks about how other people's opinions shouldn't matter. Matter. You know, if they're going to judge me no matter what I do, I'm just going to do what I want and what I need to do. End of story. It's just such a fun song and it leaves me with a high note, even after such a weighty album. Yeah. And once again, one final time, Common comes back, the narrator, and the song ends with a cliffhanger slash teaser for the trilogy's second album. A little bit like a Mr. Solo Dolo will return, you know? Yeah. The journey of the man on the moon is ongoing. But our journey with the man on the moon is not. We're up to final spin. We are. I guess I'll hit you with my thoughts and scores, as is customary, two years in. I think, honestly, truth be told, I like the album. Straight up, though, you could probably lose three to five of these tracks and have an absolutely incredibly tight album. As it stands, it's pretty great, but, I mean, I can't imagine the effect if we dropped, say, you know, Make Her Say and Alive and maybe, like, one or two other sneaky tracks. Obviously, the album has its high points and its low points, but honestly, the high points are so incredibly high. I think if we dropped out a few of those low points, it would really elevate this a couple notches. But I mean, to talk about high points, Day and Night, Intergalactic, Up, Up and Away, for me, apparently not for you, <laughs> Heart of a Lion, Simple As, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another album with as many songs of that caliber. You know, there's a good chunk of heavy hitters here. Mm. So, like I said at the beginning, I don't think it's a life-changing album for me, but I think it absolutely did a good job at pivoting pivoting my paradigm of what a rap album can accomplish both in lyrical depth and production scope hmm. i think man on the moon end of day i think it's a real door opener in some ways man you're gonna hate me in a couple minutes i might i guess we'll find out <laughs> that's what this podcast is all about it's the end of the year of vengeance you know yeah i had to do it you're not gonna get any chance to get any vengeance <laughs> for what i'm about to do to you <laughs> no this is your last chance to take <laughs> vengeance on me for for all i've done to you exactly and remember that i sure did that's why i put this episode here in particular as for music i'm giving it an 85 it's those forgettable songs that drag that down the hires and the my worlds and the poker faces the poker faces yeah lyrically 86 same deal Instruments in production, such a well-produced album. I love the consistency of the dream state, and I love the way that he uses songs like Up, Up, and Away to get us into the real world. I love the transition pieces like In My Dreams and Higher. The production's great. 90. Overall vibe, 
It's an 87. I think this album is a good one to have in the repertoire. And as for my overall score, it gets an 87.2, which puts it at number 178. And that means it's just below Fragile by Yes, which lands at number 177. Wow. Mm -hmm. I liked this album a lot more than I expected to when I picked it up, and I got to give it props for that. As for me, I liked this album less than I thought I would when I first hit play. Really? What what point changed it? What point were you like, uh-oh, maybe it's not that good? After we got into the latter parts of the album, whatever you called them. The- yeah, I would say past Enter Galactic in that stuck Act 4 and that New Day Act 5. It is a little bit of a... Yeah, where does Act 3 begin? Act 3 starts right before Day and Night. Right before Day and Night? Yeah, Day and Night all the way down to Alive. Well, Alive is part of Act 4. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so, you know, didn't didn't care for this one as much. Sure. Not my style of music to begin with, but it was an interesting take on it. I do like some of that earlier track style. I didn't want 15 tracks of it, or I guess I didn't want 13 tracks of it since I didn't really get 15 tracks of it. (laughs) That's what I'm telling you. I said drop three to five tracks. The album tightens up significantly. Yeah, you could have dropped seven, eight tracks and then had a really tight one. Yeah, cut the (laughs) album in half. (laughs) You could have just written a couple songs and it would have been really tight. (laughs) My top three in album order in my dreams. Right off the bat. Heart of a Lion. Oh, big skip. Shocker pick, My World. Ah, I'm shocked. That's my honorable mention. Okay. And Day and Night. Yeah, Day and Night had to be in there. Yeah, yeah, and you can pretty much stop the album at Day and Night. Wow. I feel like, I mean, Enter Galactic and Up, Up, and Away are the two I would really lobby for out of the rest of it. And you can make a case for Pursuit of Happiness in my mind. Yeah, well, this is my mind. <laughs> and in my mind... On your moon. On my, yeah, on my non-light-reflecting moon, I'm giving this one a spin it first, a one... Out of 10. Whoa, whoa, hold on. This is getting a 1 out of 10. I mean... Go ahead, ask for my justification. I dare you. Well, yeah, I'm curious because, wow, that's wild. He's here. You brought him back to me for the year of vengeance. The year of vengeance on which I will get my vengeance on Kanye West slipping through with a 5 out of 10 on my ranking. Okay, so really, let me explain. For those of you who did not follow the podcast for the last 104 episodes, we did Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy early on, episode 3. Connor didn't like it, but his ranking system wasn't solid in place yet. So he gave it a 5 and has often said, Biggest mistake of my life. Something like that. So, so he's wanted it to be lower all this time. He said it should be lower. So now that Kanye West makes literally the smallest of appearances on this album, but since he's in some way affiliated with it, you, you're you're punishing Kid Cudi. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. For your mistakes on ranking Kanye too high. Yeah, pretty much. I was going to rank it a five, but I thought this was a good opportunity to put him where Kanye would be. And then, you know, it's like they're in each other's place. It's like they switch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kanye aside, a five is about where I'd expect you to put this. Yeah. Five is pretty much where this would go, but it's going into the one slot. Wow. That is the way to end the year of vengeance. We can heal. Yes. Nowhere to go but healing. Nowhere to go but healed. That's right. Wow. That's a toughie. 
And for my unit. I can't believe this is in my top. Like 150. This is in my top 200. <laughs> and it's a one for you. We really do have some interesting differences. Yeah. Now whenever I look at it there, I'll be able to know that's really you, Kanye. That's really him. You won. You did this to Kid Cuddy. I hope you can live with yourself. But uh, my, my unit for this yeah. historic one. Historic one with a historic unit. This is getting one moon afternoon out of ten. That's like seven whole days. And that's how many days until... We're back in another episode of the podcast. Until the year of healing. And the year of healing is here. We're one moon afternoon away from healing. Wow. Feels good. I thought we'd never make it. But now... I can feel this weight that has been on my heart since episode three. Lifting. Yeah. Well, you know what that is. If we're on the moon, there's less gravity. So... I'm going to be a changed Connor next week. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. What do you want for the playlist? Uh, day and night, probably. Uh, yeah, day and night. If it was up to me... I kind of like Heart of a Lion just because of all the jokes we made about Snow Leopards. And just because it's a good song. It is a good song. I would be marginally on board. If I'm taking Day and Night, I would love to take something like Simple As or Intergalactic or Up, Up, and Away. Simple As is okay. I can take Simple As. That's fun. We'll do that one. Oh, okay. Simple As is in Day and Night. That'll work. That's a good pair. I like that. This really was a perfect alley-oop of an album that Kanye West really smacked back down to to a number one. To a score of one. Not a number one. <laughs> to a score of one. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Well, see, that's why I put it at the end of the year event. Vengeance. Let's let's take stock, by the way. We've just finished the year of vengeance. How are we feeling? Did we properly avenge everything? Are we square? Yeah, I think so. I think we're square. Okay. Well, I shouldn't say that we're square yet. I guess we should say we're in the healing phase, right? That's what the year of healing is for. Oh, it's to... Like, you cut me deep. You you drove many knives into my back in, in year one. Jeez, did I? I didn't think your one was that bad. Knife after knife, and they cut deep, and one of them you just really twisted a couple of times. Oh my. And so, you know, the knives are now removed. We've, the year of vengeance got the knives out. I gave you a cut or two with it. You know, I was like, take a taste of your own medicine, you know, eye for an eye sort of thing. Yeah. And so now we both can heal our wounds over this next year, and I think we will have many cases where I bring forth some healing. And it will heal us. Okay. It better. Well, (laughs) that's going to bring us to an end of two years of Spin It. Congratulations on 104 awesome episodes. A lot of fun albums. A lot of fun stuff. Didn't miss a week. That's crazy. Been going strong. We've got some into year two, beginning year three festivities still going on. I don't know if we've done our stream yet at the time this came out. But if it has, you can go find the VOD on YouTube on our website if it hasn't james will tell you about it now yeah we'll have some fun streams to do on our twitch.tv slash spin it pod that's the place some year three merch we got our year two contest that should be going on it's true well we should have a giveaway at the end of the year that's right yeah yeah just like last year check social medias for how to participate in the giveaway where you'll get an exclusive one of a kind piece of spin it merchandise exclusive it's true last year we did the giveaway we made exactly one of the item gave it away and it was personalized and really cool we don't even have one it's true only one exists yeah, just check out any of our social medias for that which are which are twitter 
at SpinItPod, Instagram at SpinItPod Official. And you can also check out our website, www.spinitpod.com, for all the details and all the fun stuff. Fun extras, bonus content. We made a Lego set of our mascots. Pretty awesome. It's pretty great. And we're looking forward to seeing you again in year three. I, as much as I picked a good album to end the year of vengeance, I've picked a great album with which to bless the year of healing. So stay tuned for one more Moon Afternoon find out what that is and until we meet again keep keep spinning spinning. rising up on the mountain did my time did my pounces pounces i like it went the distance now i'm at a party just a cat drinking milk to survive oh okay so many times i drink it too fast Wash it down with a cigarette. Oh, yeah. Now they're gone too. Got to hit the Myers. Must have milk to keep the party alive. It's the will of the snow leopard. Uh, how's the song? I, I've now had a middle block because there's too many syllables in snow leopard versus tiger. Did I skip a line on accident when I wrote this?